Uh, my message is entitled, I Am With You. Who do you trust with your heart? Everything that is in it, the good, the bad, the indifferent, the ugly, who do you trust? There are times in all of our lives that we have trusted the wrong people with our hearts. There have been people in our lives that have let us down, that did not protect our hearts, or they just didn't know how to help with what we had shared with them. So how do we figure out who it is that is worthy of being allowed into our hearts? Our spouse, our parents, our siblings, a twin, a friend. No one knows everything about your heart. You don't even know everything about your heart. But God knows all of it. When I say that even you don't, there are times that we do things and we don't know the motivations behind what we're doing. Sometimes we don't even realize what we're doing or why. But God always knows the motivations behind what we do. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Take a minute and just Think about the reality of that. There is someone who knows you better than you know yourself. And he loves you and all of us more than we can imagine. Proverbs 18.24 says, A man who has friends must himself be friendly. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. God always sticks closer than a brother. In fact, Jesus said, I have to leave so that my Father can send to you the Comforter who will dwell within you. He is closer than alongside of us or next to us or attached to us. He dwells in us. In Exodus 3, When Moses is standing before the burning bush and God sends him to Israel, Moses says to him, well, who am I going to tell them sent me? They're going to ask me your name. And God says in verse 14, and God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God is I am, and fill in the blank for anything you need. I am peace. I am love. I am support. I am comfort. I am crazy enough to do this adventure with you. I am everything and anything you need, good or bad. Fun, sad, adventurous, in between, I am everything. I think that's essential for us to truly understand that for those who honor him, he is our everything. 
Our call to worship today came out of Psalm 1, and we're going to take a look at that. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. That's important because we become like those that we are around. He does not want us taking counsel from the ungodly or sitting with the scornful or in the path of the sinners. He does not want us to take on those traits. Verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He, the person who does that, who delights in the Lord, who meditates day and night on his word, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. That's a powerful promise. Whatever he does shall prosper. So that should mean that we shouldn't have rough weeks like the week I just had because everything I do is supposed to prosper, right? Well, if you check the front of the bulletin, I intentionally chose the picture that you see on there because a tree that is planted by rivers of living water goes through cycles of change. Just because it is a prosperous tree does not mean that every moment that you look at it, it is green and leafy and beautiful and extending itself and bearing fruit. There are times when it is dormant and looks dead, but it's a season that the tree has to go through. God is looking for those who delight in the law of the Lord and who will meditate on his word day and night because there is a purpose for every season in our life. There are moments that we experience new growth and spring and the birds are back and the flowers are blooming and the color is everywhere and we're almost overwhelmed with the beauty that spring expresses because we've come out of a time of white and gray and colorless. There are times of summer where there is growth happening and we can sit in the shade even when it's hot and things are a little bit more uncomfortable than we would like. And there are times of conservation of energy. There is only an incredibly creative and masterful God who can take a time of fall when the trees are going into their dormant state and make it one of the most beautiful expressions. We enjoy the colors of fall as the leaves are dropping so that the tree can protect itself. It is a difficult time for a tree, but it is glorious and beautiful for us. And there are times of winter when we go dormant, when God is working on something and we are conserving every energy we have to merely get out of bed in the morning. But spring comes and new life is there in color that we can't imagine springs forth. And if you look at a tree, we know that that cycle happens over a period of time. 
But in reality, in our own lives, there are times that we experience that cycle in a week or in a day. There are times that we can see the greatness of what God is bringing forth in our life, and an hour later we are dormant and trying to hold on. And in those moments, who do you trust with your heart? God is always faithful to be there for us in those times. Ecclesiastes 3 says, To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted. I read that verse several times because I always thought it was in a time to harvest, but it's not. It's a time to pluck what is planted. And as I really meditated on that, and I looked at it in a couple different versions, um, and I think there's got to be one that will say harvest. But most of them will say in a time to pluck what is harvest or a time or a time to pluck what is planted or a time to pull what is planted. And as I meditated on that, I realized we don't always wait for the harvest to pluck things. Sometimes they get plucked early because they're not supposed to grow. So it's not always that we wait for the harvest. We allow God to pluck what is planted when it's his time and not ours. Verse 3, a time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to gain and a time to lose. Verse 17 says, I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. God alone judges the time that we face. And he judges the righteous and the wicked. No one is left out of his judgment. So I want to go back to Psalm 1 and take a look at how do we get to that place where God is holding on tightly to us and that he is dwelling within us, and he is there closer than a brother for every season we face. Psalm 1, verse 3 said, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away, Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in judgment, in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. I love this psalm because it brings such a picture of what God is doing, and yet at the same time, it's a warning to all of us to avoid the ungodly ways. As I was preparing this message, God brought to me two very good examples of godly and ungodly behavior when he stood in the midst of what was happening. We're going to take a look at a couple of examples in the book of Daniel where we see God show himself 
in the midst of the righteous. And it was in the midst of a very difficult situation in their lives. The first I'm going to summarize a little bit. Many of you will know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They refused to bow down and worship the golden image of Nebuchadnezzar. They got along with Nebuchadnezzar. He liked them. They worked for him. But they challenged his authority in front of other people. And that could not be tolerated. It made Nebuchadnezzar look weak. We'll start in Daniel Daniel 3, verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. He wasn't just mad, he was furious. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. He picked strong men of valor because he wanted those bindings as tight as they could possibly be. Then these men were bound in their cords, their trousers and their turbans and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So, if you think maybe it was just a little fire, and God just didn't let them get burned, The men who threw them into the fire ceased to exist because of the heat. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Verse 24, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound? Into the midst of the fire? They answered and said, True, O king. Verse 25. Look! He answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Think about how big a fire must have been to have four men walking around in the midst of it. God revealed himself not just to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but made it so that even those outside of the fire could clearly see the image of what looks like the Son of God in the midst. Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted him. One of the things to note is that when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were having a conversation with Nebuchadnezzar, he said to, they said to the king, our God is big enough to save us, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow down to an image that is not of him. They were that focused on who their God is 
They would not bow down even if it cost them their lives. But in this case, it did not. One of the questions I always want to ask is, why did he need to appear in the midst of the fire? He didn't just move on their behalf. He was with them in the midst of it. A few chapters later, we find Daniel himself in similar kinds of trouble because he prayed and honored the God of Israel. He bowed down regularly and he prayed facing Jerusalem. And there were people in King Darius's court who didn't like the, the attention and the favor that Daniel was granted. So they plotted against him and decided, you know what? Let's just stoke King Darius's pride and we'll get him to decree that no one can pray to anyone but him for 30 days. So King Darius fell for it. Decreed, no one can pray to anyone but me. And then these other advisors sat and watched. And as Daniel went and prayed and faced Jerusalem and honored the God of Israel, they went back to King Darius and said, well, here you go. Here's your first one. He's going into the lion's den because you can't change your decree. And King Darius was heart sick because he knew Daniel had done nothing wrong but he could not go back on his decree. So in Daniel 6, verse 20, it says, and King Darius, so King Darius spends a whole night after Daniel is thrown in the lion's den. A sleepless night. He is distraught over what has happened. And in the morning, verse 20 says, and when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke saying, Daniel, Servants of the living God, has your God, whom you've served continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. The king spent a sleepless night distraught over it. And yet Daniel responds with, Blessings, king. I didn't do anything, so I'm fine. How are you doing? Verse 23 says, Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take, up Dan take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. So what happens to the unrighteous? And the king gave the command and they brought those men who had accused Daniel and they cast them into the den of lions. Well, that's terrible, but it didn't stop there. Them, their children and their wives. And the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. So again, God tells us it was not that the lions just weren't hungry or were tired. He held them at bay. Because when the unrighteous were thrown into the same den with the same lions, they didn't make it to the bottom of the den before they were destroyed. 
God is there in the midst with the righteous. But he will judge the unrighteous. The same bright, glorious being that is seen in the form of the Son of God with the three in the fiery furnace appears again with Daniel in the lion's den. He kept Daniel company all night. He shut the mouths of the lions, but they did not hurt Daniel in the least. Why did he need to be there? He could have kept the fire from consuming Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego without being in it. He could have kept the mouths of the lions shut without having to be there. But God wants us to know that he is personally and intimately involved in all that happens in our lives. He is with us. And what is done to any one of his children is done to him. In Acts chapter 9, we see Saul going to Damascus. It starts off, then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He was still breathing threats and murder. He wanted to annihilate these disciples of the Lord. He wasn't persecuting Jesus. Jesus was no longer walking on the earth. He had already ascended to be with the Father. But he was persecuting any who believed in Jesus. And yet, in verse 3 it says, As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Anything that is done to one of his children and one of his believers and one of his beloved is done unto God himself. And he is there with us as it is happening and in the midst. And it's not just the negative, it's the, it's the positive too. When we are on the mountaintop and celebrating, God dances with us. He laughs with us. He rejoices. When we're in the pit or in the fiery furnace, he is there and he is ministering and he is keeping us company because he chooses to do so. He could stay in heaven and command all things to be done. But he chooses to be in the fiery furnace as the fourth man. He chooses to sit in the lion's den and keep us company. He chooses to dwell within us and know us more intimately than any other person could ever know us. Because he loves us at a level that he wants us to know. He is so involved with us. He is not a God sitting on high and not connected to us. He is there. 
He is with us. He rejoices and cries and sings and dances and mourns with us. Psalm 23 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I don't know about you, but I tend to always be surprised when I'm finding myself in the times when I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And yet, he has told us repeatedly in his word we would find ourselves there. It's just that he is with us. He would say to us every time, I am here. I am. Isaiah 43 says, But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God. We will face deep waters. They will not overflow us. We will walk through fire and it will not burn or scorch us even though we think that it does. Because God is, I am. He chooses to be with us in the midst of all that happens in our lives, good and bad. He chooses to keep the mouths of the lions closed. He chooses to stand with us in the fire and to dance with us on the mountaintops. He chooses to dwell within us and be closer than a brother could ever be. Because he has planted us as trees by rivers of living water. In times of spring and the waters flow fast, we produce new growth and we see life burst forth. In times of summer, when the waters are still clear, We continue to grow. In the fall, when they become the cold and bitter waters and they start to recede, we dig deep for what we need. And in times of winter, we reach our roots deeply into the river of living water because he sustains us. Romans 8.38 says, For I am persuaded that neither life nor death nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so with that in mind, God gives us a command. Jesus left us with a command in Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. 
And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. There is never a moment that you are alone. There is never a moment he is not with you. Because I am is everything that we need. In the good and in the bad, he is with us even to the end of the age.